Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello there, and welcome to a very special episode of the Untitled Film Podcast with Callum and Johnny, and a special guest. Who could that special guest be? Could it be our magic man behind the scenes, the man that makes us sound excellent and sexy rather than reedy and thin? Is it the man behind the curtain, the Wizard of Oz, Rob Hardstone? How am I supposed to possibly live up to that expectation? But you yes, are the man mate. behind the curtain. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Except for today. Today you're allowed to. Yeah, except for today. I'm here today. I'm here. Hi. How are we doing, Rob? How are you feeling about being a guest, a super special guest? I don't know what's more anxiety-inducing. This, the fact that this is my first time on a podcast or... <laughs> My anxiety for you, letting someone that knows nothing about film on your film podcast. Just wait until we let you <laughs> introduce one of the films and do the plot summary. Fuck off, am I doing that? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's unfair. I think you know more about films than, than you, uh, than you than say. At least less on. I mean, okay, okay. Less, at least more than your brother Dave, who we say. hope to get in the future, who knows absolutely nothing. Hey, David's seen at least three films ever. Wow. <laughs> at least. And he's seen Barbie, so... He is going to see Barbie, so hopefully he'll have some thoughts for us. Yeah, yes. depends on the day that he sees it. We might get him to... Depending on the review. day, we might get him to sneak in a little sneaky 30-second review. <laughs> well, I'm sure he'll be <laughs> very much up for that. <laughs> he'll be thrilled. Anyway. <laughs> um... So we are going to probably post some some bits and pieces from this podcast, as it's a special one, on our social medias. And Callum, as ever, what are our social medias? Well, you can find us on Instagram and on Facebook 
on Untitled Film Podcast. You cannot find us on Twitter or threads because we do not like that dastardly Mark Zuckerberg and that mean old Elon Musk. Boo! Hiss! Although Facebook and Instagram are also owned by Mark Zuckerberg, but we'll just skirt over that fact. Don't and... point that out. Okay. <laughs> And there might be some form of new social media that we're going to be going on soon. Rob, would you like to tell us more about that as we're going to put you in charge of it as your youth? Yeah, the only way people will ever find anything anymore is through TikTok. <laughs> so we're going to look at maybe doing some stuff for there. I might try and get Johnny to do some dances, maybe some lip syncs. It's going to be great. No, well, Johnny uh, can do the one dance that he can do, the, the arm. <laughs> And he always does it during the scores time. Like, so what's his score for the film? (laughs) (laughs) Floppy arms, floppy arms. But yeah, I will find a way to post some kind of clips on there just to try and reach some new people. It'll be fun. If we can do it the way I think we can do it, it it will be pretty cool. Well, you're down with the kids. You're into your hippity hop music and your MySpace. So we're going to put you in charge of that because we're old men. We don't know (laughs) anything. I've I've got the Bebo. I'm good. You got the lingo. <laughs> um, so, this week's episode is there's a reason we've got Rob on. It is a big event, possibly the biggest event in cinematic history, some would argue. Um, there has been two movies that couldn't be more different, although there are some similarities. The main one being that they're both produced by a uh, director come. Um, producer power couple did you know that yeah it was emma thomas is christopher nolan's producer and they're married and um barbie is co-written by uh greta gerwig and her husband noah baumbach who of course very celebrated filmmakers lots of awards between them and also the production company that produces margot robbie's production company and that is also run by with her husband oh i didn't know that so both of them are a bit of family affairs. Very sweet. That's very nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was the, it's the cinematic event of the summer. Um, we saw both of them yesterday. We, in theory, we were going to record this after them, but beers ensued, as often they do yeah. after um, movies. So... Yeah, we, we'll go for just one after the films. It'll be fine. <laughs> one became three, and three became home at we were 10 o'clock <laughs> yeah, we weren't like blackout drunk or anything we just a little bit tipsy wandering home so instead we yeah. uh, we've, we've bought out the old zencaster and we're doing a nice remote record um but no so we are going to be talking about both oppenheimer and barbie and i think we should probably talk about them in the order that we saw them i think that makes sense okay, yeah okay. i think that that's yeah that's the best way to do it, i think there's a lot of debate about which way around you should see these films and having now seen these films i think we did it the right way? Absolutely. So, oh, like, definitely, definitely. I think Barbie was very good dessert after yeah. after Oppenheimer. Quite heavy. Well, Oppenheimer's heavy and long, and then a nice like yeah a souffle to to finish the mm. day off with Barbie. I would definitely do. I can't. I can't imagine seeing Barbie and being in that like happy headspace and then going and walking in and watching Oppenheimer. And yeah. being like, <laughs> Coming yeah. out with a skip in your step and into the destruction of Nagasaki and Hiroshima. It's like basically like skipping into <laughs> the mouth of a lion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, so I, I definitely think that, despite the name Barbenheimer, it should definitely be Oppen Barbie, or however you would do it. Um, instead, 
because that's the way around to see it. So first off, we're going to talk about Oppenheimer. Um, and Rob, would you like to know? Catherine, uh, <laughs> do you want to do the honours on this no. one, shall I? Yeah, sure. I, I don't mind. Uh, so Oppenheimer is a biopic about Jay uh robert oppenheimer I'm yeah getting his first name He's now robert. um the father of the atomic bomb and it takes us through his childhood his early days in cambridge um skipping along that well, because it's not his child childhood it doesn't really go much into no no his uh, like university years his yeah. uh, university years in cambridge uh but because it's a christopher nolan film we jump around between different timelines so the framing device around which this is based is two um kind of hearings um, one of which with the character of um, Robert Downey Jr., who played a man who hired him at one point, um, and one and that's in a big kind of huge kind of um, public hearing, lots of people listening, and then there's a tiny, teeny, tiny private one with just Oppenheimer and various people defending him or against him in a small room with about 10 or so people all grilling him. And it goes through the time in Los Alamos in the New Mexico, where he was hired to basically to come up with an atomic bomb before the Germans could. But then his politics gets tangled up, his affiliations with left-wing politics and the Communist Party about whether he was or wasn't a communist, and whether after the events at Los Alamos and the Second World War, whether he then was responsible for secrets leaking out about atomic weapons getting to the Soviet Union. Uh, so, guys, I uh, don't know who wanna, wants to take the honour first. And Rob, do you want to take the honour first? Um, you should. What did you think about Oppenheimer? Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a Christopher Nolan film. What, what more is there to say? It was very, very well shot, visually really, really good, uh, but a little bit all over the place in terms of plot. Like you said, it was kind of going back and forth a lot between this kind of courtroom drama and the actual building of the bomb. But yeah, no, really enjoyable, but I think you'll both agree it's a little bit too long. Definitely a little bit too long. Yes, and, and um, Rob was a little bit late because getting here, uh, there was horrible traffic and then there was a fire, a, a fire, a, a coach caught on fire. Yeah, uh, yeah, So yeah. you would have arrived uh, just on time for the film were it not for that, but I think you arrived about 20 minutes late, so you missed all the stuff in Cambridge. And frankly, you didn't miss anything because no, that was no. like, <laughs> well, late biopic stuff. And even missing that that you conclude that it's still too long shows that there is a problem is that <laughs> yeah. it's indulgent. It's, it's, it's not that any one element is bad. It's just that it, every element we see it kind of worked through and overanalyzed to the point where it's like watching a dissected corpse almost like, you know, we're watching a, a very stately thing. We're watching a very statuesque thing. that's very handsomely presented, but almost nothing there with a pulse or a heart or you know it, it was an academic exercise in dissecting the frog and i think that's become a problem of late with christopher nolan is that no one's going to tell him no because his films are usually hits so people are allowing him to do the thing that he does and it just becomes too much it, like you said it's a heaping bowl of stuff it was like it was like someone told me, eat your vegetables before Barbie. Okay, fine. And then someone presenting you with a 
entire bowl full of steamed carrots and, and broccoli, which is fine in small doses. But after but a while, all of, them. all of the steamed broccoli and carrots, it's like, this is good for you. All right. This is an important film. And eventually it's just like, I can't do this anymore. It's too much. And this fla- it's flavorless. So Johnny, what do you think? Yeah, it was all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think my thoughts on Chris Nolan are very well known to, li- to avid listeners of this podcast. Um, I've, I think he's overrated. I'm just going to put that out there. And this film did nothing to dispel that. I think certainly of his recent films, my favourite by far is Dunkirk. And I think that is primarily down to the lack of dialogue. And I think this is a really big issue with, with Chris Nolan's films. I find his dialogue really stunted and really, it's just, it almost feels like Wes Anderson dialogue without the stylization. Like, it's very kind of like, yes, this is me reading a script, and I'm also reading a script. But this is a script, and this is also a script. And it just it just feels incredibly stilted. And, like, anytime there tries to be a whippy quip, like, most of them don't land that well. Um, I 100% agree with both of you that it is... there's two hours of a really good movie in there, but there's an hour of just stuff that doesn't work. And because of that, it kind of absolutely fucks up the pacing. Like the first half an hour just is pretty much not needed. could be done in five minutes. And then obviously like the thing that Oppenheim is known for is creating the atomic bomb. And the thing that happened and the thing that was in all the trailers, like this is when the world changes two minutes until the world changes. Once the genie is out of the bottle, the world changes. And yet the world changes and then there's another 45 minutes of a courtroom drama afterwards. Like it, it, it just doesn't really mesh together in the way that I, I want it to. Having said that, is, is it on the, the metrics of a good movie? Is it a good movie? I would say good, not excellent, but it's a good movie. Um, it is incredibly well shot. Something none of us have really mentioned yet. Actually, the acting is great. Um, yeah, very, very good. Yes, and it's good to see um, Killian Murphy, who's been the bridesmaid of Christopher Nolan for a long time. He's been a supporting character in something like six of his films now, and he's never quite got the leading man. And then now it's his big chance, and he absolutely brings it home. But, but uh, I also like so RDJ Robert Downey Jr. absolutely smashed it. Arguably the better performance, although obviously the whole weight of the film was on Killian's shoulders. So you know, fair play to him. Mm. Um, and Matt Damon was good as well. There was a lot of like tiny little cameos where the actors were, were good. Although, again, it slightly takes you out. When you see Remy Malek, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm giving too much away of this film because most people know what happens is there's an atomic bomb and there's a court hearing. But at the start, when you see Remy Malek in the film for about 30 seconds, you think, well, he's probably going to show up in some important role later on. I don't think he even says anything in his initial scene. No, no, no I think no, he, he just doesn't. stands there with a clipboard. And then the second time he's there, he gets the clipboard thrown at him and then he's <laughs> seen a bit more. <laughs> and there is a troubling aspect. Um, both of the female roles in this film uh, are well played. They're good actors. Uh, Florence Pugh plays Oppenheimer's uh, first wife. Finding and two-dimensional characters. <laughs> and then Emily Blunt plays the second wife. But they have they are mere ciphers through which Oppenheimer views his own trauma and they do get nothing to do. Which is a Chris Nolan problem. A Chris Nolan problem, a bigger Chris Nolan problem is that he's fond of killing off his wives. We didn't Um, actually kill off his wife in this one. No, no, he He killed killed off off his girlfriend. His girlfriend. Which Um, which is what happens in history, I suppose. Which did, did happen in history, but 
it is starting to get like you okay chris but there is i mean again it's it's always hard to know where is the line with the biopic or what you're giving away there's an incredibly uncomfortable sex scene yeah like incredibly uncomfortable and unjustifiably so like there's no need for it to be in the film like i kind of get what he was going at but it just feels tonally different and again it, it doesn't disseminate from that kind of like does chris nolan actually just not like women it kind of feels like that, <laughs> that and, and emily blunt every time emily blunt's in the film she's slogging on her hip flask or her martini and scowling at killian murphy to the point where you go Maybe they should just get a divorce. They're not good for each other. But well, I mean, it... interestingly enough, I was listening to a podcast about Oppenheimer last night, and actually, the film seems to that it might have been kind to her. So apparently, really? yeah, she. Again, this is obviously from what the scientists have said about her when they've been talking about her afterwards and things. So you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Sure, of course. You know, he, obviously, course. you don't know what goes on in someone's relationship behind closed doors, but. Um, she apparently was a drunk. Um, she didn't really have any form of mothering instinct, and threat, which I'm not saying necessarily, you know, not everyone does, but like she did kind of like, don't really want to look after my kids vibe. And she also apparently was very like, she fell out with everyone and was very like acid tongued. So um, <laughs> maybe there's some truth to the character. But anyway, yeah, it, it's not exactly a. Uh, I think if it was just in this film and every other film that Chris Nolan had ever done, that all the female characters were well-written, well-rounded individuals that, you know, but actually they're always just side character, two-dimensional side characters that get bumped off pretty quick and often aren't shown in the greatest of light. I think there's a bit of a pattern here. Mm -hmm. Yes, agreed. Also, it's got a well-dressed white man at the centre of it. I know Tennant was a well-dressed black man, but for the most part, he likes a well-dressed white man. White men in suits. Mm-hmm. So, um, Rob, do you have any, have any uh, summarising thoughts? Um, I'd say it's definitely worth a watch, especially if you like Christopher Nolan's films. It's, it's I think it's up there with his better films. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, the pacing, it just especially in that second, that last act, it's just all over the place. You're kind of like, well, why are we still here? We... Nothing that major is going to happen now. Yes. So what what are we still here for? And then it just kind of ends. Will they revoke his security clearance? Oh, no. And the middle third of the film is very tight it almost frames yeah. it like a like a heist film. Like, it feels we're, like really we're gonna we've we got to get the bomb out we've got to get the bomb out before the germans and it's like this music chicka, 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 it's like ramping up and ramping up i thought I, this is like getting near to a panic attack you know th- if they keep this pace up for three hours that would be incredible and then I, they don't i'd just like to put out a nice little plug as well for with ransom's music again he used him first in tenant and he's done like Black Panther and quite a few other things with like I think he did Last of Us and, and Mandalorian. He definitely did. Um, and I just really think he's one of at top of his game, one of the best soundtrack people in in um, soundtrack land. In soundtrack land, uh, yes, soundtrack land, which is adjacent <laughs> to Barbie Land, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, that the, the the music was one of the things. If it had a I feel like if it had a Hans Zimmer score, the film would have felt very different. It wouldn't have... He's, he's a lot more claustrophobic. He kind of... He almost feels like a horror movie kind of... Music. Yes, very overbearing. It's very overbearing and makes you... And it does. And that's the best... And that's why I think it'd be a better tight two-hour film because the bits where they were building the bomb were tight and were exciting. And, and you know, we knew what the outcome was going to be, but you still, you know, still managed to hold you on the edge of your seat. 
and everything else around it just didn't work. And that's the issue. I think if they'd have made a film that had 15 minutes of his early life, then an hour and a half of making the bomb, and then 15 minutes of them like tearing him down at the end with maybe a few flashbacks and flash forwards intersected in the mid in that middle 90 minutes, it would be a much better movie. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, but unfortunately, you've got an hour of the making the bomb, an hour of the court case, and an hour of young Oppenheimer. Yeah, and, and the thing is, they did intersect it throughout the film, but then when you get the, the, the big explosion, spoiler alert, they succeeded and made a nuke. Um, when, when, when they did to that, then it just becomes a courtroom drama. So all the intersection kind of stops. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Couldn't find a place for this in the rest of the film then. Yeah, exactly. This is a bit weird. The editing in general was weird. Like in the first kind of like half an hour, they did this like trope where they would, I use trope to say, not you, Callum, um, <laughs> where they would kind of like have these bits of, I don't know, like it looks like particles under an electron microscope or something like superseded over the top of like pictures of, of Oppenheimer, like being in bed, like shivering and stuff. And they kind of did that for like half an hour. And then they were like, well, done with that. And then it didn't really do it for the rest of the film, but it didn't really explain why it was doing it in any kind of concrete way that was justifiably made sense. Um, it had a hard time getting yeah. under the skin of the man in general. Like in the early third, he poisons the apple of one of his um, uh, lecturers, is one of his tutors who chewed him out. And you think this, oh, well, this is interesting. I want to hear about this. This man might be a little bit unhinged. And no, not that interested. It's not. It's not that interesting. It. If you look at Oppenheimer, if you, again, if you look at Oppenheimer's history, he was quite an unhinged, certainly young man. But even when he was older, he was a bit. You know, he was very um, saw the world in a different way to a lot of people. And it's interested always... in in depicting. It's not interested in, in asking why. And I yeah, think that's the problem oh, for yeah. a biopic. And I think that's the other thing is they very surfacefully talk about the bomb and and you know and it was it the right thing to do is it the wrong thing to do some scientists think this some scientists think that but it could have been a much cleverer movie in that it could have talked about that in a lot more depth yes but it just didn't it's 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 very surface or whether it was very really a deterrent to drop two bombs on japan or whether they were just doing it out of revenge that's yeah whether they something. could have drop one in a small military installation and killed a few people and said but we've got more of these if you yeah you know, if you if you guys don't surrender now yeah, exactly that. It, you know, there was there's a lot more depth to it than than they. Yeah, it, it, it was. There, there, there's not much depth to it. It's a very surface A to B biopic that's too long, and you know, it's well put together, well acted. If you don't know much about Oppenheimer, we'll teach you a lot. Although you have to take some with a pinch of salt, but it's pacing, it's editing, everything is a mess. That that would be my sum up. <laughs> Very good. Yes. And I think, unless either of you guys got anything more to no, add? No, I think I've certainly covered all my bases. What about you, Rob? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy with that. Not much more to add, really. I think that then takes us nicely to an advertisement break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I'd buy that for a dollar. I'd buy that for a dollar. You're going to do it with a rasp. No. <laughs> I'm not no. doing it. Go on. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it, Rob. And edit Callum's one out. I'm going to edit all of it out. No! <laughs> I have complete That's power. That's going to start out. You'll just start from, I'm going to edit everything out, and it'll just go on from there. Or maybe I'll put it in at like five times speed, so you can't quite hear it. <laughs> anyway, um, after our review of Oppenheimer, um, I think it's time to go into the, the pudding, the dessert. The Barbie, Barbie, Barbie. get some Ken, Kennedy going. Um, so <laughs> how do you even describe Barbie? Um, so Barbie, I, I feel like I don't need to describe who or what Barbie is. I think most people listening to this podcast have a base knowledge of life and existence, uh, and we know who and what Barbie is. So Barbie is a person who um, is a toy, but she's not a toy. She lives in Barbie land with a whole host of other Barbies. There's President Barbie. There's Dr. Barbie. There's Lawyer Barbie. There's Supreme Court Justice's Barbie. She lives in Barbie land, and it's a perfect matriarchal society. And it's also filled with Kens. Kens who are shunned, thrown aside at the whim of the Barbies. The only thing they care about is making the Barbies happy and being seen and being found by the Barbies. But our protagonist Barbie is the stereotypical Barbie. She's the OG Barbie, um, which is shown in the, the first opening sequence. The film is a 2001, a space odyssey kind of takeoff. Um, and it has actually her as, as the original Barbie with the original Barbie outfit uh, on at the start of the film. So she's meant to be like the OG original Barbie. But one day she gets up and Barbie's perfect Barbie land life doesn't seem quite so perfect. First off, she starts thinking about death to the shock and chagrin of all the other Barbies. Then she wakes up and goes for her morning shower and the water's cold. She then goes to float off her roof like she does every day and then um, falls onto the floor and she realises something isn't up. And then finally, her heels touch the ground. Dun, dun, dun. And she goes to see Strange Barbie who says she has to go back to the real world and find her user. User, is that the word? Adult, player, the, child? The person who pl- with plays whom... with her? Uh, yes. Anyway, and restore the link between the two. And hilarity ensues. So, Robert, what did you think? I really, really enjoyed it. I, I, I had a feeling I was going to enjoy it, but... I enjoyed it way more than I thought I was going to, especially as you say, like as a pudding after Oppenheimer, it, it was very light. It was very funny. Very, very funny. Um, doesn't get dragged down in itself. Doesn't take itself seriously at all. And until the plots where it needs to, but yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. Callum. 
No, I agreed. It, it's very nimble. It it's manages to have its cake and eat it because it uh, it's directed by Greta Gerwig, who of course directed the most recent Little Women, uh, the version of Little Women uh, that came out a few years ago. Um, ironically, with Florence Pugh, uh, she directed Lady Bird. Um, she was an actress before that. She's a very smart person, and she co-wrote it with her husband Noah Baumbach, who I think has won a couple of Oscars. And what they managed to do is wrestle this complicated history of Barbie. So on one hand if she were a real person she wouldn't be able to sustain her her legs and her stomach uh, her stomach is too small to be sustained and and her legs are too long to stand up but yet she can also fly to the moon she can also be a chef or a senator or a president and it's done in a completely capitalistic way the company of mattel um you know they're not putting out these toys to president barbie in order to inspire little girls despite what they say they're doing it to sell more toys but for the 15 year old girls who remember having a barbie when they were eight or the 30 year old um audience members the millennial women who remember being an eight-year-old girl and being inspired by barbie it is a complicated history and what they managed to do is have their cake and eat it firstly it has a very simpsons-esque sense of humor where in the way that simpsons bites the hand that feeds it like they'll make a lot of jokes about fox this has a lot of fun making fun of both the barbie barbie world the kens how ridiculous all this is. Mattel, they're very much... Warner bite, Brothers. Warner Brothers, they bite the hand... That, biting the hand that feeds it, nothing. This is chomping on the hand that feeds it. Yet it also knows that the audience who came to see this film probably remembers owning a Barbie when they were six or seven and thinking that this is the best thing in the world. And to those audiences, this is not ironic. This is not a joke. This is... This was a wonderful thing that I had. It manages to wrestle and walk that line very finely but in a way that it doesn't feel like it's soapboxing or lecturing as you say when it gets serious it does get very serious it's a very feminist friendly film um especially the character played by america ferreira who is the mother of the woman uh, what the mother of the teenage girl who owns the barbie and is brought into barbie land and she's part of the reason why the barbies and the kens start to revolutionize and uh, um, kind of shrug off the shackles of the very stereotypical views of manhood and womanhood that they've, you know, been, has been forced upon them. It's, it manages to do all the things by walking a very fine line between being light, by being serious, by biting the hand, by being sincere, by being ironic, which is why I think it's become the big hit of the summer. It, it's a four-quadrant blockbuster in the ways that, by God, they just don't make them like that anymore. Everyone can come into this film in the way that everyone in the 90s could watch The Simpsons. And someone is going to get something out of it, that everyone's going to get something out of it. Even three um, blokes like us, you know, who really have no right to talk about feminism in any way without kind of being very careful. We were laughing our heads off from minute one to a minute 120. And it just did it all perfectly or mostly perfectly I, I will say i'll leave some tiny reservations for after johnny after you've spoken so johnny what did you think yeah it was all right <laughs> for fuck's sake <laughs> <laughs> Son of a bitch. <laughs> well ben shapiro hated it so even if it was bad i'd love it yeah. um but no it is yeah it is it's pretty good <laughs> um i remember when the first trailers came out and i was like this is either going to be fucking genius or it's going to miss the mark so horrendously and just and it is genius 
And I think what they meant, the way they managed to, I think Callum's right, it did really walk that tightrope of like not taking the piss out of Barbie as a concept and as a whole and taking the piss out of people's childhoods because people wouldn't like that. But also kind of like putting it into the context of a, a modern world and, and maybe even finding a place for Barbie in a modern world. I think it did that incredibly smartly and partially did that through detail. So I've watched a, a couple of um, featurettes and things about like the production design and stuff. And every single thing you see in it, every um, character, every piece, item of clothing, every like Malibu beach house, whatever, um, they are all stuff from from Barbie's history. So anyone who's a Barbie fan is watching it going, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I remember that. Um, so it kind of it grounds it in like the people care about this, but also they know, you know, it, having a toy that is like so idealistically unrealistic for a person to look like and stuff, you know, probably did give some people negative self-worth and probably, um, you know, isn't always the best role model. So it kind of fleshed out the Barbie character, um, in a, in a way that it makes it more so. So no, I, I really liked it. it. The jokes all hit. They were hilarious. Um, it was very self-knowing. It was there's a bit in it where they're talking about like getting cellulite and like not looking as good, and then the the narrator played by Helen Mirren kind of speaks up and says, "Note to the producers: Maybe don't get Margot Robbie to play this role if that's the message you're trying to get across." <laughs> and, and there's just there's loads of little bits like that. It's incredibly cine cine literate. There's a lot of cinema jokes so you can tell it's made by people that like films um, and again all these things help broaden the audience because you on the face of it it's a Barbie movie it should be for like the 9 to 14 year old girls it's clearly not a movie for 9 to 14 year old girls I'd say probably like 14 is about the lowest age that they should I, th I think it was rated at 12 wasn't it it's rated yes, it 12A yeah. it's 12A so in theory adult could take younger kids with them but yeah I probably wouldn't if I had a daughter wouldn't want one less than like 14 seeing it i would say so it's obviously designed for an older section of the market um but that i think 14 and up male or female will all find something in it whether it's the jokes whether it's the um the kind of uh, the cinema references whether it's the the attention to detail um whether it's just the, the world and being taken away on a magical story, whether it's the social commentary, like there's so much in there and it all, and it all works. Like it only needed one or two elements to really fall apart for it to not work at all as a movie. And every element I think works. Yeah. Okay. Is it perfect? No. Is it like a hundred, is it a hundred percent? No, but it's pretty darn close and pretty darn closer than any Barbie movie probably should be. So <laughs> yeah, I think they knocked it out of the park. No, ex exactly. Um, for just a minor reservation, I remember when you came out to the cinema and said it did have four endings or five yeah, endings, it and it could have done with one. And I get it why there is four endings is because they firstly they've got to wrap up the Kens, they've got to wrap up the Mattel storyline, they've got to wrap up the Barbie Land storyline, they've got to wrap up the storyline with um, the real world girl and her mum, and then they've got to wrap up the storyline with the OG Barbie. But they do them all individually like one ending two ending three ending four five ending six ending seven ending more where they maybe could have found a way to wrap up at least a few of the minor or supporting character um stories in one and then leave the main barbie to kind of have her own kind of space to have her own thing but 
teeny tiny this this is nitpicking just for the sake of um being fair i think yeah i would agree um i yeah and it, it could have been it is a two-hour movie as well or an hour and 56 minutes it probably could have been 10 15 minutes shorter but um i say that about every movie uh that's over 90 minutes yes you do and uh, rob <laughs> anything more anything more to, to add not so much no, just think... the, the the humor was completely completely spot on uh will ferrell was amazing yeah he was incredible yeah uh just overall a really really fun film yes and, and do look out for the cameos um yeah. we're particularly tickled by rob bryden britain's own rob bryden as sugar daddy ken so that was fun and there are many 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 wow. many more cameos just mm. to be clear daddy of a dog called sugar not a sugar daddy yes, yes. Oh, of course yes, oh, of course yeah. yes a clear distinction that needs to be made <laughs> <laughs> but no absolutely it's um yeah i think it is really really good um we're just around i just yeah i can't i i really think the humor is funny I mean, we, but we all said when we came at the cinema that like, we hadn't seen will family in anything really funny for a while and he was so perfect for this role like it's just it's this is just a will Ferrell does that kind of like un what's the word i'm looking for like undeserving pomposity so well like, mm. <laughs> like every every single line he had was a joke and every one of those jokes was funny yeah, yes absolutely. it's quite similar to the role he plays in zoolander playing a kind of pompous undeservingly mm-hmm. pompous villain. very true yeah but it's what he does. Like he, he he's just really good at being really pompous and really up his own ass. But but for, for no reason to deserve to be that. Like, yeah. <laughs> but again, he was quite. Yeah, I think the other thing is there's no real villains in this movie. Like no one is is made out to be the bad person, and that's quite nice. It's quite. It's just quite a nice little world to live in. Yes. I really, I really thought they were setting up Mattel to be the big bad, but they weren't. No, it, no. it wasn't that one-dimensional at all. No, it was a lot more, uh, a lot more rounded than that. Again, I don't give too much of it away, but yeah, it's, it uh, it's nice and more rounded. So, I really loved it. Um, I would highly recommend. Highly, highly recommend highly. too. Yes. Perfect. So three lads' opinions about the feminist masterpiece that is Barbie. Absolutely. <laughs> so. Uh, I think we should do some scores and some wrap-ups. So, Robert, or Rob, or R, or whatever you'd like to be called. Or the man behind the curtain. (laughs) Yeah, I'll take the man behind the curtain. Okay, man behind the curtain. Man behind. NBC. That's a cool nickname. So, NBC, what do you think about Oppenheimer? What would you score it as? What are your thoughts? So my thoughts are it's it's definitely worth a watch to probably anyone that enjoys films. I don't know how much I would have enjoyed it if it wasn't in the cinema. I think it was at home watch. It might have fallen a bit flatter than it did. Um, But I'd say a solid seven, I think, for Oppenheimer. I think that's a fair score. And Callum? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to have to be unoriginal and say that my score is quite the same. Uh, Seven, it's very cinematic because of... uh, uh, Christopher Nolan does that very well. Um, his cinematography is always really solid. And having IMAX show faces, not just vistas, like uh, it does get a lot of um, vistas out of the New Mexico desert, but a lot of the film is just close in on Killian Murphy's blue eyes panicking in that 
kind of way that he does and see those so large in such a crystal clear definition that alone is worth the price of admission i'm not sure as you say rob um at home if you were watching this on a laptop or even on a recent a, a decent sized television 4k television it might not quite have the same oomph and i think that's where a lot of christopher nolan films fall down their cinema releases dvd is an afterthought or dvd uh, 4k is an afterthought um and it is too long it's too baggy and i think for that seven as well i think a seven is the kind of perfect score for it I agree with all of what you both have said. Um, when I, came, I think if, if you'd literally have stuck the microphone in front of me when we walked out of that cinema yesterday and before I'd seen Barbie, I probably would have given it an eight. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've been like, oh, that is just too long and that bit was boring. And that sex scene, fucking hell, why is yeah. that there? That um, really did take you out of the entire film. It was very <laughs> hard to get back in again afterwards. Yeah, it really was. It was just awkward. Um, and yeah, I, funny enough, I was even, so I was listening to the soundtrack this morning and literally where the Trinity test is, and then there's like, it's, it's about 13 or 14 songs into the soundtrack and then there's nine more songs afterwards. And that just tells you all you need that, to know yeah, about that it. All. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, it's well acted. It, it, it's a good biopic. It, you know, it's not going to be three hours of your time wasted. It's maybe 45 minutes of your time wasted. Um, but again, I agree with both of you. Like, actually, do I see myself like watching it on a rainy Sunday, which I might do with Inception or I might do with some of the others. But obviously this is like, doesn't really have many set pieces in, which is kind of sometimes when you get a slightly boring Chris Nolan film, like Tenet, the set pieces will keep you going. And this didn't have those. And I don't think the script was good enough to overtake it. So yeah, I think it is only a seven. Um, I agree. So let's go to Callum first this time. We'll swap it around. Callum, what are your scores for Barbarella? Uh, well, for Barbie, um, I think that it it's manages to have its cake and eat it. It's both light and serious. It bites the hand it, it, that feeds it, but it's celebratory. Uh, it's cast are all great. Uh, we didn't even talk all that much about uh, how good Ryan Gosling is as the leader of the Kens. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a sneaky Oscar nomination. Uh, it's moving when it should be. It's very funny throughout. It's probably the funniest film I've seen in a, a long time where there are gut belly laughs from minute one to minute and 120. It has, ironically, one of the best set pieces of the year with the, the Ken all-out war, the, the war of the Kens, and then the, the subsequent dance sequence. That is going to stay in my mind for a long time. Uh, it's just good, good, good fun. Uh, as the Beach Boys song that played on the first trailer, it's fun, fun, fun. So it's nine out of ten. Excellent. And NBC. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I fully agree with everything Callum said. The only real downsides to it I I could find was like you said about four different endings, um, and I think the initial setup as well. I know it's not that kind of movie, but they didn't really explain the link between Barbie's world and our world in a way that felt satisfying to me, which is fine. It's not, it's not that kind of movie, but I would have liked a little bit more behind the curtain on that. Um, but I, I'd agree. I'd say a nine, a nine as well. Um, yeah. I also agree with both of what you've both said again. 
Um, I think my biggest criticism, yeah, I think there's too many endings. I think it could have been 10 minutes shorter, probably. If you took a couple of those endings out and amalgamated them and snipped a couple of little bits out of the middle. Um, but, I mean, that's a, a very, very small um, negative. Uh, I know what you mean about the whole behind the curtain thing. Funnily enough, it did what Tenant does, where they're like, 20 minutes of the film. Don't think about it too much. It doesn't matter. They kind of like <laughs> sign it off, which I, I get. Again, they might have had to add 10 minutes more into the film to explain it. But yeah, it, I can, can see that. Um, I think, yeah, something we haven't really talked about too much. Like the production design was amazing. The world building was amazing. Um, I just really liked it from start to finish. So yeah, I'll knock one point off for those, um, uh, for the, the, the kind of being a bit too long and stuff. But other than that, nine out of 10. So Shockingly, we've all agreed on both films. <laughs> so uh, Oppenheimer is a 7 out of 10 and Barbie is a 9 out of 10. So I think you guys should get down and do a do like us and do a Barbenheimer day. Yeah, have a Barbenheimer I, I, day, absolutely. I would definitely, definitely recommend that. It was a lot of fun. Um, they really did complement each other quite well. They did, yeah. I feel like you sometimes you need that bit of like relaxation after a really like heavy, intense film where your eardrums have been blown out. <laughs> multiple times yeah. <laughs> every explosion <laughs> actually something else i just want to say so chris nolan actually the the speaking was much better than most of his recent films like there was no kind of like sounds of knives and forks blocking out the sounds of the things yes. you're actually listening for but at the start there's there's a big explosion and there's a quote about prometheus but like half of the quote is black on orange and half of the quote is black on black and you can't read it and i was expecting either like it all to fade to orange or it to go up so i could read it and it just didn't and i was like so you've just put half of the quote on a screen that's black on black and i can't see it do you just fucking hate your audience do you hate them as much as you hate women Chris <laughs> um, so that was and that was it, honestly that happens and it was like in the first 30 seconds of the film and i was just like for god's sake is this what we're in for is this what we're in for again anyway um just want to throw that out there but yeah, thank you very much for coming on board, Rob. And thank you. not just that, thank you for all you do in producing this podcast because there's a lot of effort involved in that, I am sure. Um, and yeah, and we'll be back next week with a more regularly structured podcast. You may have noticed there was no news in this one. We thought we don't want to be like Chris Nolan and take too much of your time up <laughs> today. Uh, and yeah, thanks very much, guys. Thank you for having me on, guys. You're welcome. And thank you for making us I'm sound sure so we'll sexy. Again. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. And to your audience, see you later and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.